12. We'll be looking at verses 31 through 51. The final, the tenth plague has come upon Pharaoh and Egypt, and it has had a devastating effect. Every home, each and every house, every family in Egypt has suffered death of some kind. And all of Egypt is now in mourning. And if you know anything about the Middle East, they mourn loudly. You know, we're a little reserved, and but over there they they wail and they mourn loudly. So this great mournful wailing cry rises up out of Egypt. We have mothers that have lost their children and even perhaps grandchildren. Fathers have lost their sons who would carry on the family name. Their heritage has been taken away from them. Death of the firstborn is so complete in Egypt that it even goes down to the livestock. Even the livestock have lost their firstborn. Some animals, actually, you can actually see them grieve over the death of one of their offspring. So even the animals are grieving in Egypt. And the thing that really haunts Egypt, this entire land, is all of this death could have been avoided. But let's pick it up in Exodus 12, verse 31 through 51. Then he called for Moses and Aaron, this is Pharaoh, by night, and he said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. And also take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So so the people took their dough before it had leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked the, from the Egyptian articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides the children. A mixed multitude went up with them also of flocks and herds, a, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared pre provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten, and you shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded, Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Pharaoh, he now declares to Moses, Go, leave, get out of Egypt, you and all of your people, and take all of your possessions and animals and be gone. Go serve the Lord. And then he says something very peculiar. But bless me also. The reason that's peculiar is Pharaoh had said to Moses earlier, if you see my face again, I'm going to kill you. But now here's the king of Egypt and he's asking Moses not to... uh, to for him not to kill Moses, but now he wants Moses to bless him, and he wants Moses to bless him where he will not die. God has a way of turning things around. But Pharaoh wanting that blessing sounds like America. After 9-11, Lee Greenwood, he's, uh, I don't know if he wrote the song, but he sang a song, God Bless the USA. And that song was played constantly on TV, on the radio. And it was so popular, that song was, that there were people that wanted to make it our national anthem. But Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, he suffered death in his own family. He also suffered the other nine plagues. And he wants Moses to bless him now. Before Israel leaves Egypt, he wants that blessing. Now, it's customary among the Hebrew people to bless family and friends. When Jacob came down to Egypt to live with Joseph after finding out he was still alive in Genesis chapter 47, Joseph introduces Jacob, his father, to Pharaoh on this day, and Pharaoh wants to know, how old are you, Jacob? Only 130. (laughs) Then out of the blue, we have Jacob blessing the Pharaoh, and then he leaves. For a believer to give God's blessing, we simply are invoking the omnipotent God's goodness upon another person. It is not my blessing that I do at the end of a sermon. It is asking God to bless you. I am invoking God to bless you people. 
So never look upon it as me blessing you. My blessing, that and about 50 cents and you can get a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? But anyway, Mike and Valerie, when they bought their new home, uh, Mike came to me and he wanted me to pray over their home and ask God to bless it. And that was an honor. I was happy to do this. That's, you know, that's wanting a blessing not only upon me, but upon a place. There's certain places, I think, that are blessed of God. I think this church building, perhaps, is a place that God blesses. So there's nothing wrong for asking a blessing upon a place. Uh, who was it? Jacob? that uh, poured oil upon the stone, the pillar where he saw the angels ascending and descending, uh, that was a blessing place. Bethel was a blessing place. And we pray for God to bless our meals. We say, we call it a blessing. We say things like, would you say the blessing? And we ask God to bless our food. Now, how many diseases do you think we avoid by asking God to bless our food. <laughs> I ask God to make it wholesome and generic. You know, you can do that. <laughs> but we asked God to bless our food. But back to Pharaoh. He wants God's blessing from Moses. Lest he die. Now... Understand that to receive God's blessings is a good thing. But to be blessed of God requires aligning yourself with God or being obedient to God. It requires that we submit to God and his principles, his statutes for life. And I see Pharaoh and I see America and I see that Pharaoh for sure only wants half of God's blessing. He doesn't want that obedient part. Sort of like Esau. Remember Esau? He wanted nothing to do with the birthright, the responsibility, but he wanted his father's blessings. And that so much reminds me of America. Um, the Egyptians, in verse 33, they urge Israel to leave and leave quickly, fearing that they may also die. And then you hear, you can almost hear them say, okay, we're going to leave, but we want your silver, gold, and your fine clothes. <laughs> and the Egyptians willingly give up their treasures Thus Israel, it says, plunders Egypt. And they do this because God commanded them to go and ask their neighbors for gold, silver, and clothes. Israel has labored for the Egyptians for 430 years, and they have been the workforce. They have been the skilled labor of Egypt, and thus Egypt has prospered up until the plagues. But Egypt, they have not treated Israel 
the children of Israel in a fair way. In fact, they forced Israel into hard bondage, and it says rigorous labor. That means hard labor, by the way. And now God requires Egypt to pay Israel. Egypt has been Israel's 401k plan without knowing it. <laughs> and the Egyptians, when Israel asked for their gold and silver, they're afraid not to give it to them. And we have a great number of Israelites that leave Egypt. We're told that it's 600,000 men. That's a lot of men. Now, in Israel, in their culture, for you to be a man, first of all, you had to be about 30 years of age, married with children, or you weren't considered a man. You were still a youth. Jesus himself did not enter ministry until he was 30 years old. Now, 600,000 men, if they're married and have 1.2 children or whatever, <laughs> There was a minimum of two and a half million people leaving Egypt. A minimum. Because the mix, there's a mixed multitude that go out with the Israelites, and they will later be a problem as they will encourage the Israelites to complain about their diet and all this kind of thing. And so you got this great number of people leaving Egypt. Egypt, not only leaving, the Pharaoh is forcing them to leave now. They can no longer stay in Egypt. Go get out of the land. And Egypt, in a day, becomes a ghost town nation. Detroit suffers from a lot of vacancies uh, in the city because people have just left. And it's a great problem for Detroit. But can you imagine Egypt having two and a half million people leave it? But the Egyptians that remain there in Egypt, now they have to fend for themselves. They must gather their own crops, care for their own animals. They don't have any Hebrew slaves to uh, do the common chores or take care of things. And the skilled working segment of Egypt's and their society has left town. And in one day, Egypt goes from flourishing to being a poor, disorganized nation. They're not only poor, they give all their possessions to the Israelites, but they are also in mourning. They are grieving tremendously because every family has suffered death. Every family is heartsick. Every family, they've had their vitality sucked right out of them by death. And life is very sorrowful in Egypt. And this once powerful nation is now in ruins. And then we have in verses 43 through 51, we have God giving Moses the Passover regulations. 
and he says, I want you to do this, Moses, each and every year. I want my people to observe Passover continually, generation after generation. But the nagging thing, the nagging realization that torments Pharaoh and the people is they realize, they know it did not have to be this way. It's because of the stubbornness of their own hearts and the heart of Pharaoh that has brought about this destruction. Pharaoh, he is a totally devastated king and all the people are suffering with him. And all of this tremendous great sorrow, this suffering has brought, been brought about because of a hard heart. God sees our heart. We are to guard our hearts. Don't ever let your heart get hardened. But you know, Pharaoh, he was not the first or the last man to ever suffer for opposing God. Many sinful persons suffer today because of their hard heart or their anti-God attitude. Jesus tells the story, and it's not a parable, a story about a rich man and Lazarus. So if you would, turn to Luke chapter 16, and I'll read there verses 19 through 31. This is a very insightful story, for we learn a lot about the grave in Hades. We learn about uh, who goes there and this kind of thing and, and all the torments of it. So Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that this beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a fixed great gulf, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And this is the rich man. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. But I, for I have five brothers, that they may testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, You have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, 
But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. What a story. It's a true story because names are named. Jesus, I even think the parables are two true stories. I don't think they're made up for a moment. I don't think our Lord had to resort to make-believe stories to make a point. I think parables are true stories also. But this rich man, he fared sumptuously every day. Life is good. Every day of his life was like a party, a celebration. The drug epidemic in America, and really of the world, display its, its proof of our party mentality. We have become drug dependent without even realizing it sometimes. We will not even, self-included, suffer through a headache. Where's the Tylenol? Do you have any Aleve in the house? You know, we want drugs to take away our problems. And then you have, on top of pain-killing drugs, you have drugs that make you feel good about yourself. Uh, a while back I had a kidney stone, their joy. <laughs> uh, and I was given a prescription, and the nurse that gave me uh, the prescription, she said, be careful how many of these you take. They will become addictive if you're not careful. And I said, right, I'm not big into any kind of drugs of any sort, but I took one of those pills and my life got good. <laughs> and I said, wow. If a pill can do this, what about those that are inclined to, you know, get hooked on those kind of things? And they, there are drugs that make you feel good. But just having returned from our vacation, and uh, we were in Southern California, and my daughter had arranged for us to go on a Newport harbor cruise we got in a little electric boat and cruised the harbor but we got to see how the rich and affluent do live <laughs> there was yacht after yacht you know these houses stuffed in there uh, upon this little balboa island there in newport harbor and we got to see up close and personal how the how the rich fare sumptuously. <laughs> but um, the rich man fared sumptuously, but Lazarus, his life was the opposite. His life was full of sickness. We're told that he had sores all over his body and the dogs would, would come and lick his sores. That's living miserably. But for the rich man, I'm sure he wondered, why do they lay this beggar at my gate every day? 
But as fate would have it, the rich man dies, Lazarus dies, and within a few days of each other. And I want you to I want to bring your attention to the fact that the rich man is in Hades and he has all his faculties about him. He suffers pain. He's being in torments, and that's plural, more than one. He's able to see Father Abraham afar off, and Lazarus is there with him, and they are in paradise, and he sees that. And they are not tormented, and he is tormented. And the rich man wants mercy. And he wants mercy from Father Abraham and Lazarus. The rich man who avoided Lazarus all of his life, now he even knows his name. And he begs Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water. And that's just symbolically, he's wanting just a little water to cool his tongue. For he proclaims, I am tormented in this flame. And this is Hades. This is not the everlasting hell. This is Hades. This is the waiting place for hell. But Abraham says to him in verse 25, son. There's a relationship there, a Jewish relationship. Remember in your life, you had it good, but Lazarus had it evil. Things were bad for Lazarus. And Abraham goes on. But I cannot send Lazarus to you because between us there is this great gulf fixed that no one can cross. And then in verse 27 we hear the compassion of a man that is in Hades. He says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my five brothers who were like myself, who lived sumptuously, lest they come to this place of torment. The rich man's recollection, his memory, it tells him that his brothers are on their way to the same place that he is of torment. And that grieves him. It's interesting that he is grieved because his brothers might come to where he is. Hades and the grave are full of people tormented by their memory, present tense. They're there right now. I'll repeat that. Hades and the grave are full of people tormented by their memory. The regrets, the memories of souls in Hades, I think is their greatest torment possible. They are reminded, they remember every waking moment the reason they are where they are and why they're there. Abraham told the rich man, he told him, remember. How could he forget? Remember. Now every person, including everyone here, has regrets in life. We all want the do-overs. 
Yeah, you ever want a do-over? Let me relive that. I'll relive that just a little bit different. The Catholic Church years ago came up with a solution for a do-over. We will create purgatory. Purgatory is not taught in Bible, by the way. But purgatory is just man's solution for a second chance that is a lie. There are no second chances once you die. It's over. There are no do-overs. The rich man pleaded for a second chance. There was no second chance given him. As Christians, we're so blessed to enjoy forgiveness. Our forgiveness is so complete, Scripture tells us it is just as if you never sinned. How complete is that? We torment ourselves with past sins, but God does not remember our past sins. Just as if we never sinned. Compare that now to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has been dead four to five thousand years. Pharaoh is in Hades right now. This very moment, he is in Hades. And in this very moment of his torment, his memory tells him, my hard heart against God is the reason I am here. His memory haunts him. Pharaoh, the rich man, anyone that is in Hades only await the great judgment day where they will be cast into the lake of fire created for Satan and his demons. And you can only think about hell and the destruction of hell for a short amount of time because it's so devastating. I cannot dwell on hell but momentarily. Maybe you're like me. Abraham tells the rich men, your brothers would not listen if someone were to be persuaded to go back from the dead. They have the prophets. Let them listen to them. And Jesus, by the way, did rise from the dead. And unfortunately, and here's the great sorrow here, much of the world today rejects Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever to man is rejected by the majority of people. His offer of salvation is shunned. And when we read about the rich man and torments and Hades, we're saddened. We feel sad for them. But the good news is, today, as believers, or today, if you're an unbeliever, you have that opportunity to repent and turn. Turn from sin, avoid Hades, avoid hell. You can avoid it. 
turn to Jesus who offers salvation. What a blessing. I can guarantee you as Christians, we have no regrets, no bad memories by following Jesus. There's no downside to following Jesus. So today, and I know I'm talking to a room full of believers. I understand this. But if you're here and you haven't committed your life to Jesus, it's a good time to do so. We'll have people in the prayer area after uh, we're done here, and they'll be happy to pray with you about receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the story about the rich man and Lazarus because it's such an awakening story for us. Lord, we don't want to leave this life to pass into death without you. You're our rock. You're our salvation. I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that no one in the sound of my voice will ever have memories of rejecting you. I pray that each and every one here would receive you with open arms. That's my prayer. Lord God, I thank you for salvation. I thank you that you went to the cross where we do not have to suffer for our sins. Thank you so much, Jesus. And here again, Lord, I want to pray for each and every one here that they would come to know you in a great and personal way. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Do a work by your spirit, Lord. And thank you again for our salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.